Welcome to Around the Table. Everything we have comes from God, and truly, we have been given much. The Apostolic Christian Church's guiding principle, I, speaks to how we should live in light of this truth. Who of us do not at times need to receive blessings from others? And who of us at times do not need to bless other people with the resources, with the gifts that God has given us, this basket of gifts that we can be steward of? I am Randy Goodham, and I have the privilege to serve the Fort Lauderdale and Francisville Church. John, would you introduce yourself and unpack this principal I? Sure, Randy. My name is John Reinhardt. I'm with the Bluffton Church, and um, this guiding principal I that you mentioned states, we freely give as we have freely received, recognizing our lives and resources belong to God. This guiding principle emphasizes three really important points, I think. One is that all things belong to God, including our very, our very selves. Uh, Paul says into the Corinthian, to the Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That's a very personal and individual statement about what we have freely received. James goes on to say that all good gifts come from God. That means our material, our time, our relationships, our talents, all of those things come from God. We have freely received and we continue to freely receive in abundance all these things. They are not ours. They are God's. We have freely received. That makes us stewards. I think you mentioned that word, Randy. That makes us stewards and not owners of all things. And so since we have freely received, we are called to freely give. And that's the third point of emphasis in this guiding principle. First, that all things belong to God. Second, that we have received all from him. And thirdly, that we are called to freely give. Paul says again to the Corinthians that gifts are given for the benefit of others. And so reciprocating what we have freely received by freely giving, it's not a duty. It's not an obligation. It's really an expression of thankfulness. It's an act of worship. It's what God expects. There are really some wonderful biblical examples of this concept, some that are particularly dramatic examples like the widow's might or um, those listed in Hebrews 11, those who offer their possessions, their relationships, their talents, their lives. Paul said to the Corinthians again, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. I think the most beautiful example of uh, freely giving is Jesus himself, of course. Shortly before his crucifixion, he dons the garment of a servant, or we might say of a steward, and he washes the feet of the disciples. And then he says, you know, you should really do as I have done unto you. And that's our, that's our example. Of course, then he gave us freely the most wonderful gift of all, the gift of salvation and with the forgiveness and the peace and the reconciliation and the eternal life that goes with it. So, yeah, we have freely received and we are called to freely give all resources that belong to God because we are his stewards. John, thanks for that excellent syllabus. As we discuss this guiding principle, you mentioned stewardship, the last portion, recognizing our lives and resources belong to God. John, it seems like understanding this stewardship piece really paves the way to a life of freely giving and receiving. It just opens our heart when we realize our lives and resources do belong to God. 
We sing, take our life and let it be consecrated unto thee. In reality, our life is literally in Jesus Christ. Anything else is literally death. In that position of submission to Christ, it just seems so natural that our lives are in service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And quite honestly, we really want our life to reflect God's love, grace, and truth. We really do desire to glorify God by loving those around us as God loves of us, loves us. John, as we focus on this stewardship piece, stewards are not owners. Stewards work for the welfare of the owner. It seems kind of like the employment versus ownership or employer-employee relationship. We think of Joseph. He was, as we think about it, the steward of the Egyptian Department of Agriculture, not to mention the reunification of his family. Job said, I came with nothing, I go with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Jesus, as you highlighted, pleased not himself, but glorified his father. And as we go to the Bible, as you have referenced, stewards are expected to take responsibilities and use their gifts. Peter would tell us, as every man has received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards. And then, of course, Luke 19, we hear the parable of the talents, occupy till I come, were Jesus' words. Stewards also need to receive help from time to time. Change is constant in this life. Change leads to new experiences. New experiences leads to the need for advice. And John, we need help. We've experienced that personally in life. A carpenter building a building seems like he'll often return for more supplies. Individuals, families, churches, we all need to receive advice and help. John, as we continue to focus on this stewardship piece of this principle, there are several detrimental traps that Satan wants us to fall into, traps that inhibit our ability to freely give and freely receive. John, what do you see as some of those traps? Yeah, Randy, you're, I think there are several, and, and I, I really appreciate, before we go into any of those traps, I really appreciate what you said about we all at times need to give, we all at times need to receive, and that's just really critical to remember that, to keep that in mind, because Satan will send some traps in, in our direction. And one of those, I would call it an unhealthy attitude in stewardship, an unhealthy attitude in serving, is what I would call the pride trap. When we are freely giving to others, when we are in that position, sometimes it's tempting to develop sort of an attitude of superiority. Even James and John kind of fell into the pride trap uh, as they followed Jesus, as they wanted to sought to be elevated above others in, in the kingdom. So it's something that we all must be cognizant of, that that's going to be something that Satan may throw our direction. It's kind of almost like a savior complex. Let, let me just give you an example. A few years ago, we were um, conducting Bible studies in the community, and there was this young gal who came to the Bible studies, a young lady. I'll call her Lisa. That wasn't her real name, but we'll call her Lisa. And she didn't ask for much. She didn't have much. She wasn't able to do much, but she participated in our Bible studies. And uh, she lived by herself in a little apartment in, in town. And she worked in the hospitality section of a um, nursing home in town, about a mile away from her apartment. And as we got to know Lisa, we learned that she was walking to work every day. 
a mile to work and a mile home from work. And well, we decided, oh, we must do something about that. We can't have her walking to and from work every day in all sorts of weather. So we set up a driving schedule to, do, to, uh, to help Lisa out. Someone would pick her up in the morning. Someone would bring her home in the evening. When my daughter-in-law found that out, she said to us, she said, oh, don't do that to, to Lisa. And uh, I said, what? And she said, Lisa doesn't have much. Lisa can't do much. But one thing she can do for herself is she can get herself to work and back. Don't take that dignity away from her. But see, Randy, it made us feel so good that we were doing these things for Lisa. She never asked us to. She didn't ask us to take her to and from work. But we discovered that my daughter-in-law, Angie, was right. The more we did for Lisa, the more she depended upon us. And the more we tried to enable her, actually, the more we disabled her. We took that dignity, things that she was able to do for herself, and made her helpless and independent. Uh, helpless and dependent rather than, than independent. Now, we intended well, but we got a little ahead of ourselves. We got a little full of ourselves in, in sort of a savior complex that, oh, we're going to save Lisa. We're going to be her hero. She didn't ask for that. But we got a, a bit filled with pride, and I'll confess that. And that's one of the traps that Satan will cause us to fall into if, if we're not watchful and mindful of, of his devices. When we are in a position to give, sometimes we can become proud of our giving. I think the a beautiful example in the Bible is in John chapter 5, when Jesus encounters this invalid man at the pool of Bethesda. And uh, Jesus asked him if he wants to be healed, and the man said yes. And so Jesus healed him. And then after healing him, Jesus said, okay, now you take up your bed, you rise, you walk. He did what the man needed, but he didn't go beyond that and do for things things for the man that he couldn't do for himself. And that's a great example for us. When we're in a position of giving, do it as Christ would give, but don't take the dignity away from another person and, and don't make it about ourselves. That becomes the pride trap. I think a healthier attitude is to view ourselves as conduits of God's gifts and to, to carry the attitude that, you know what, I'm humbled to serve, I'm honored to serve, I'm honored to get to know this person, I'm honored to, to help this person, rather than an attitude of superiority, that in some way I'm better this, than this person because maybe I have more resources or something. So it goes back to something you said earlier, Randy, being mindful that we all need to freely receive at times as well, not just freely give, and that helps us to avoid that pride trap, one of Satan's traps. Um, Randy, other traps come to your mind? Yeah, a comparison trap comes to my mind. But before I go there, just thank you for un for unpacking the nuances of the pride trap, things that we don't see on the surface, but yet is really underneath in the center, in our core being where that pride will come out. Just really appreciate that. Yes, the comparison trap. Uh, a couple of times, Apostle Paul told the Christian church that comparing ourselves one to another in a competitive manner is not wise. And we think on this comparison trap that alongside the pride trap is a detriment to good stewardship. We know, as we read in the New Testament, the human body has many parts, and that is comparison to the church is made up of many distinct members, 
all operating in unity. The foot's not the hand, the eye's not the ear. That is all very obvious. And God has equipped, the Bible tells us, each of us with talents. And here's a key phrase that kind of excites me. He's equipped each of us with talents as he sees best in the body. So we do not think more highly of ourselves or less of ourselves by comparing the talents given to the others with the talents given to an us. In fact, in Colossians 3, 5 tells us that covetousness or greed is a form of idolatry. In this comparison trap, there is a marked difference between competition and cooperation. Competition is pursuing dominance, which usually benefits self. Cooperation lifts people up, usually benefiting the whole to the glory of God. Competition within the body weakens the whole. Maybe to summarize the comparison trap, God has set us members, every one of us in the body, as it has pleased him. So maybe a health checkup question when thinking about comparison trap. And I say these to myself all the time. Do I have confidence that God is equipping and placing me correctly? And the second question, which relates to your pride trap, John, who are we really trying to please, God or man? John, what are some more of your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, excellent point. I like those last couple of questions you just asked there, Randy. Do I have confidence that God is equipping and placing me correctly? That's asking, do I have confidence in God in God's competence? And and I think that's a, a really important concept. I think there's a kind of a corollary to your uh, your point about the comparison trap, and I would call that the inadequacy trap. And maybe it goes back to some, perhaps our self-esteem or some past experiences that we've had. But sometimes we can develop an attitude of inadequacy. You know, like, who am I or, or, or what do I have to offer? We, we forget that, that, um, the Bible states that, you know, all of us are graced with, with gifts. And, and you talked about that earlier. I think there's a really neat example in, in Matthew chapter 10 where, Jesus sends the disciples out. And before he sends them out, he says, okay, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you power to cast out unclean spirits. I'm going to give you power to heal all manner of sickness. I'm going to give you power to heal all manner of diseases. So he equipped the disciples in those specific areas. And then he sent them out. And as he sent them out, he said, okay, now here's what I want you to do. Guess what? I want you to heal the sick, I want you to cleanse the lepers, and I want you to cast out the the devils. So Jesus, first of all, equipped them, and then he called them, and then he sent them. And I think Jesus does the same thing with us today. He equips each of us uniquely with gifts. And then he calls us to utilize those gifts, and then he sends us out. And to feel inadequate in those areas is maybe natural, but when we recognize that God is competent and we have confidence in that competence, that God has equipped me in certain ways, he's equipped others in other ways, and he sends us out with those particular gifts for particular purposes. Let me just give you another quick example. Um, when I was in college many years ago, um, there was a, a, a 
brother from the Remington Church. He was a minister there. His name was Edwin Baylor. And he was just a really positive, inspiring example to me and, and to many others. And he, he was that way for many years. Just a real encouragement. As I said, that was many years ago. A lot of time has passed, and uh, Edwin has, has passed away too. So when I went to uh, the funeral home at the time when he had passed away a few years ago, um, I was visiting there with some of the family, and uh, one, of the, one of Edwin's sons mentioned to me that a young lady had just come into the funeral home to, uh, to, to the visitation, and uh, none of the family knew her. And so finally, one of them asked her, they said, so how did you know our dad? And she said, oh, she said, I work as a cashier at the local McDonald's. And she said, your dad would come in on a regular basis and get a coffee or whatever. She said, and when he would come into the room, when he would enter the restaurant, she said, he just pushed all the darkness out of the room. And that was just a beautiful testimony, I think, of, of the life that he lived. Not about a, not, nothing was mentioned about a word that he said, but just that expression of joy that he always carried, that positive attitude that he always carried, that uplifting spirit that he always carried, pushed the darkness out of the room. Well, that's how God had equipped him. And he recognized that, and he was sent out called and sent to be that kind of an example, that kind of a role model. He could have said, all I have is upbeat disposition. What good is that? I'm not very adequate. But he recognized that's how God had gifted him. And so he was equipped, called, and sent. So we may think, I don't have much to offer. But wow, maybe just pushing the darkness out of the room can make a difference in a young lady's life. Who, who knows what else God can do with, with the smallest gifts that he gives us. So I think if we tend to fall into that inadequacy trap, we have to counter that with a recognition that we have confidence in God's competence, and he has empowered and equipped us, sent us, and we can have confidence in that. Those are just another thought about kind of that comparison trap that you were talking about, and Randy. Any other traps that you have in mind? Yeah. But I want to refer back to that statement you made a couple of times, confidence in God's competence. Wow. I love that. And I love that example of Edwin. Oh, I remember Edwin. Uh, he was upbeat. That was his gift. And I wonder how many lives we'll see in heaven that are changed because he used his gift to God's glory. And I believe he received that first. That's just beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah, the last one I have here I want to talk about is the burnout trap, John. And in some ways, the burnout trap can be the culmination of what we've talked about so far. Pride trap, comparison trap, inadequacies trap. We all have personality traits that God has given us. We all have tendencies. And these tendencies are probably, we could say, on a continuum. Some of us are people pleasers all the way to a people driver on the other side. We probably all fall in between that somewhere. We have calm to high motion personalities. But John, as we focus on this stewardship piece, and that's really what we're focusing on, I believe we're all subject to the burnout trap. God himself set an example for us on the seventh day of creation. 
and I have to think, John, what do I expect to happen when I disregard an example that God had set for me? There's a story, John, I'd like to use to illustrate this burnout trap. It's in Matthew 13. We observe Jesus taking time to what I'm going to call process. Jesus took time to pray and rest. Now, if you remember John or Matthew chapter 13, the main takeaway is Jesus feeding the multitude. It says 5,000 men besides women and children. So let's say a multitude of seven to 12,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. It is miraculous and it deserves the spotlight. That account is actually inside a larger account of Jesus needing time to process, pray, and rest. So as you read that chapter, we'll see the story leading into that. John the Baptist was just beheaded. But the background, as we put the scriptures together, John the Baptist was possibly one of the very few people that really understood Jesus. At a time when most were questioning Jesus' identity, when John saw Jesus walking toward him, John declared, Behold the Lamb of God. When most people wanted Jesus to prove his power, John said, I am not worthy to unloosen his shoes. When asked to baptize Jesus, John rightly declared his need to be washed by Jesus. And he immediately obeyed Jesus' request to be baptized, even though John probably did not understand the complete meaning of what was happening. Back to this story in Matthew 13, Jesus had just received news that his beloved friend and cousin had been violently and gruesomely beheaded. Hearing this, Jesus departed in the ship to a desert place apart for some alone time to pray. In the midst of that personal need, the crowd flocked to him. He had compassion and served the multitudes with truth and food. But when it was over, he sent them all home, even his disciples, and Jesus had his alone time to pray. If Jesus needed time to renew his mind and body, safe to say we also need times of refreshing. If our time of refreshing is interrupted, it still needs to take place, or the cumulative effect can and will greatly limit our ability to freely give and receive. John, here's my experience. In my mid to late 40s, I, I ran into this, falling into these traps. It's complicated, and 15 years later, I'm still packing it all. But I do know that I ignored good stewardship principles. Specifically, to be quite honest, I foolishly fell into Satan's traps of pride, unhealthy comparison, and faithless feelings of inadequacy. This naturally led down a path that violated the need for time to process, pray, and refresh. John, I literally watched my physical body withdraw with fatigue, my mind fog up, and probably the worst is a relationship with God became confusing. So, John, in that state of existence, was I able to freely give and receive? Uh, Randy, I would just say thanks for sharing that very personal experience that touches 
each of us very deeply when it's very personal like that. Would you say, Randy, that if you were in a less cluttered environment, you would have had a less cluttered focus on Christ that could have helped prevent the burnout and could have given you a more joyful kind of attitude in giving and receiving? Yeah, I would agree to that. Um, but really, it was a personal problem. It was, I lived out what we talked about here, pride, comparison, and feelings of inadequacy. Yes, the clutter of life took over. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. So it is really true then, there is more blessedness in giving than receiving. Amen. Amen. You know, John, it may seem that we have spent a significant time talking about healthy stewardship, and it may seem like we're really off topic, but I don't. I think we're exactly on topic. If we are not healthy stewards of the manifold graces of God, our ability to freely give and receive is greatly inhibited. We cannot fake giving and receiving, at least not for very long, if at all. To give, we must first receive Receive the love of God, forgiveness, grace, and life itself with humility and thankfulness. In that receiving, we get a glimpse of the abundance that is in Jesus Christ. As we give, God will provide and sustain with good measure. We are given grace equal in size to the gift of Jesus on the cross. Guiding principle I is so well stated. Knowing our lives and resources belong to God, we first give and then receive. We belong to God, heirs together with Jesus Christ. We are equipped in Christ. It is with thanksgiving we receive. It is with joy we give, each in its season, all to the glory of God, the author and finisher of our salvation. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your interest and also welcome your comments. To share your feedback or episode ideas, go to the settings menu in AC Central, select User Feedback, and when the web page opens, click the Feedback on Around the Table link. Around the Table is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church.